What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Before you mash that fast forward button to move to the beginning of today's episode, I'd like to quickly tell you about some ways you can support the show and everything that I'm doing right now. You can support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Again, just go on over to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Become a patron for as little as $5 a month. Or you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. It's incredibly important with the way iTunes works. So if you have a second, please leave a rating and or review and subscribe on iTunes. Uh, you can listen to the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts, you can check out chasethomaspodcast.com. That is all my previous episode, a link to my newsletter, and all my articles that I've written. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at chase double underscore Thomas. You can like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer, or you can just tell a friend you found this independent sports podcast that they should check out too. Thank you for listening. You're all the best. And I think we've reached the point in this intro where my uncle Darren can play me in. All right, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, on the line right now, Corey McCartney of Fox Sports and the Chopcast. You probably listen to him on Chopcast Live, or you see him on TV. With Zach Dillard, sometimes spotted with Cody Rhodes, and we'll probably get there at some point. So I'm very jealous of that. But this was pre-blonde Cody Rhodes, so a lot has changed since then. But uh, Corey, good evening. How are you? Hey, great, man. How you doing? I'm good. Actually, you know what? I just want to ask you about Cody now. I might forget. So just okay. while it's on the tip right. of my tongue, we're going to be talking Braves and a little bit of wrestling here. But um, Cody Rhodes, good guy, fun guy. He seems fun. And all of this, I will say, yeah, is based he- on watching Being the Elite. That is all of it yeah, he, for me. Yeah, he... he- but but that I will tell you, like that was the Cody Rhodes that I have had my interactions with is the same one that you see on being the elite. So just real laid back guy. Just he has a good sense of himself. I mean, he knows exactly what he's doing. I think that's the biggest thing. He's you know for him to to have done what he's done, walking away from WWE and writing his own ticket, and you know hooking up with the Bucks and Kenny Omega and Marty Skrull and all this to be able to to get to where he's, he's at. And it's, uh, it's impressive, man. And, uh, yeah, just a real down to earth guy considering, you know, what he, what he comes from as far as, uh, you know, the son of dusty roads. How upset are you over being leaping on hiatus at the very least? They're saying it's may not be over, but, uh, it's gone right now. And I'm, I'm not happy about it. I would imagine though, when we get closer to all in that there's going to be more of them. Okay. You know, even if they're high, I would imagine they're, they're going to do something. I mean, that's, what everything's gearing towards, right, is that is for them to have their big, you know, self-funded big event. I, I think that's it, it's got to be happening. Yeah, maybe they bring it back with CM Punk, a CM Punk appearance with the big Chicago. Yeah, that's how you, you bring go. it back. That's the answer. Um, all right, I could fancy book all night, especially all in, but you never know. We'll get there. We're not that far away. Um, are you going to go or no? 
No, no, I'd love to, but okay. Yeah, that's, uh, well, we'll talk after the podcast. Maybe we happen. can find a way. I think Southwest right. is going through some stuff, so maybe tickets will be slashed for <laughs> a couple months, and we can find our way to Chicago for all in. There you go. <laughs> all right, man. So I this is my first question today. I read on thedefeated dot com, great site on ESPN, an article that was pretty awesome on just baseball and hats, which is a thing. Uh, coming from just my background, everything else, my dad, whenever I wear a backwards hat, he always says something to me about it. And Ikunia has already gotten some hat questions. Griffey was obviously just, uh, he revolutionized the hat game in baseball with the backwards hat. But um, are we sure that Acuna has not been called up yet because the Braves are not satisfied with the way he wears his hat? I don't think Ronald Acuna being in Gwinnett still has anything to do uh, with the way he wears his, his uh, lid. I think, uh, you know, they're, they're slow playing this. I, I'm honestly surprised. I, I was forecasting that we were going to see him on Monday. Uh, when they came back home, I thought they would have the, you know, sort of the, the vibe of a second opening day mm-hmm. um, and have him make his debut against the Phillies. I, I would still be surprised if it doesn't happen this weekend because they're going to be on the road until May 5th, I believe, after this, a 10-day road trip. Okay. I, I don't think they want that happening on the road. Yeah. But my whole thing with that, too, is how often do we really remember stuff like this in the grand scheme of things? Like, people are so worried about when he's called up and you got to call him up at the right moment, but it's, it really doesn't matter. I don't think any of us really remember. Do you remember who Dansby Swanson debuted against? Because I don't off the top of my head. I, rem- I was there. I mean, I well, remember that's, the yeah, I remember You may the not day. be the best person yeah. to ask this question to. Um, you obviously remember the Hayward home run. That was pretty great. Yeah. Um, it's been a long time. I'm Shout out to Jason Hayward and his batting eighth for the Cubs now. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's uh, Acuna's going to come. But it's just, I feel like we're at that point where because he's not called up yet, people are just getting antsy. So now everything is up in the air. And just people are trying to rationalize as to, oh, is there a problem there? Is he pressing too hard? Like Snickers getting questions about him and everything. It just seems like a lot will die down. Just call him up and let's just move forward. But then again, Preston Tucker doing pretty well. So um, I don't know. Who are you more excited about or surprised about, Tucker or Flaherty right now? Well, I will say real quick, I was talking to a friend, Dave O'Brien from the AJC today about this. Ozzie Albies is the youngest player in the in the majors. It, yeah, they already have. So they already have the youngest player in the majors. You're talking about them having when Acuna gets here the two youngest players in the majors on the same team at the same time, presumably in the starting lineup at the same time. That's a lot, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I I know it's going to happen and it's inevitable that it's going to happen, but it's a it's a weird thing to think about because I think we just assume that Acuna is going to come up and it's going to look eerily similar to what we've seen from Ozzie Albies. Uh, of late as a guy that's just taken, you know, baseball by storm, what we saw from Bryce Harper when he came up, what we saw from Chris Bryant, Rafael Devers, all those guys. It's a lot when you think about a 20-year-old that we're just anticipating he's going to come up and it's going to be seamless. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of rockiness, and I think we just all have this envisioned that he's going to come up and just be the next big thing. Yeah, I mean, just look at what Swanson went through last year. Um, yeah, I had a lot of questions about that anyway, and just playing so close to home and that kind of thing. But I mean, obviously, with everything that started this year, like his April last year was just unbelievably bad. It was you couldn't have <laughs> like if you just have to go back and look at the numbers, they're not great. And this year, it's a totally different player. Um, and you know, like he had, I think, overall a 66 WRC plus, and then he has at let's see, yeah, 164 
through how many games are they third uh, 17 now are they played are they what 10 and 7 i think they're 10 and 7 so 17 games um still a small sample but looking good good early return from dansby but he still had a really rough go of it his first year in the majors but i will say i don't think we're going to get that from acuna i i just don't i don't think we will either but i i just I think we at least need to have guarded optimism. I'm, he's going to be spectacular. I just don't know if it's going to be immediate. And then I think the fact that, you know, as you mentioned, Preston Tucker has been playing really, really well. You know, they're not in a position where this has to be done uh, at any point soon. Alex Anthopoulos told us uh, yesterday, you know, that they, they want to bring a guy up when, when everything's happening, when he's clicking, you know, when they're in rhythm. And, you know, it, it is interesting because, Acuna was spectacular in Grapefruit League, right? There was he was the most productive hitter in the, in the entire Grapefruit League with uh, the time when he was uh, sent off to, to minor league camp. But Anthopoulos did, you know, mention yesterday. Look, now guys can game plan. You don't get game planned for. You don't get scouted. You know, it, guys breaking down tape on you in the in spring training. But you do get that now. You do get that at the major league. You do even get that you know, where he's pitching and where he's at now in Gwinnett. So it's just a different approach. And while we have seen him be extremely successful against major league pitchers in spring training, this is a bit of a different monster. And I think that's why they want to have him coming here on a roll. I think that's that's why we kind of have that approach to it, even though we already have seen him do it against major league pitching and believe that it shouldn't be a problem. So the Braves, uh, I don't know if they still have the best run differential in baseball, but they did just a couple days ago. They were projected by Pakoda to have 76 wins, I believe, before the season. So about like, what is that, 10 games under 500. And they're off to a great start. But obviously, it's just the run differential. Like this team's just hitting from top to bottom. But who's not hitting is their leadoff guy, who I get in arguments about this a lot. I don't think Ender Enziarte is a leadoff guy. His OBP is not great. And you want a guy with, uh, who just is good on base. It doesn't necessarily matter as much about whether or not they're fast anymore and that kind of thing. But like, I love him as a defender and I still like NCRT, but are we sure he is the leadoff guy of the future? Is that the right spot for him? You know, I think that's an interesting question. I mean, certainly when you look at Ozzy Albee's skill set and you look at the ability to just, you know, to take a single and turn it into a double, you know, the ability to, to make something, uh, you know, out of nothing, he definitely has that uh, skill set and, you know, those variables are in a way that Ender and Ciarte doesn't, but, and, and, you know, Ender just has obviously a year ago, you know, a 200 hit season, but mm. he's always been a slow starter. And I think it's easy mm. to get caught up in what we see out of him in April and May. He's never had uh, you know, a way to run creative plus uh, higher than 99 in the first half of the season. It's always been over 100 in the second half of the season. So he's always trended that way. He's always had bad Aprils. Have you um, asked him about For this? whatever reason, uh, he doesn't really doesn't really buy into it. He just mm-hmm. you know just doesn't really I think want to to uh, you know to really put too much stock into it. But he just for whatever reason is a guy who late in the season just things kind of start to pick up for him. Hmm. And you know I think he's a creature of habit too. And I think if he gets moved down in the order. And I think that kind of takes away from from him having that comfort level. Uh, it's just sort of the approach that Snicker has with him. He believes that you have him there, ultimately things are going to happen. He's going to string together hits. It's just it hasn't happened uh, consistently at this point in the season. I wonder if that's like part of, a, like if that's a thought for Snicker too, is that Dansby's batting at the bottom of the order. Like, do you mess with that 
at any point this season because he's gotten up to such a good start. That's a, that, and that's a really good point. I mean, last year, you know, talking to last winter meetings, so not the ones we had, but the year before that, mm-hmm. talking to John Hart and John Coppola, they were adamant saying, look, Anthony Swanson is a prototypical, what we think is a prototypical number two hitter. We think he's got a long future there. We're going to hit him number two. And now it's like you couldn't dream of putting him at number two because yeah. you don't want to you know, screw with what's going so well for him. So, you know, I, I totally think you leave him there. And ultimately, when this lineup starts to become the optimum version of, I think, what it could be when everyone's in place, mm-hmm. to have him where he's hitting now could be, I mean, it's, it's going to be that much uh, better of a, you know, a, a situation for him. But definitely, you feel like he's getting to the point where you got to think about hitting him higher but you do worry about whether or not you're messing with a good thing yeah um i wouldn't do it i get like i think uh like we've both said it. i think it just don't mess with it but then again i think about yep. where acuna is gonna hit and if he struggles how does that like imagine him and swanson just like being at the bottom of the order for the second half of the season and everything but um i think the dream at this point is like albies at the two spot who he now seems like the two guy of the future just how good he's been and i feel like the altuve comparisons are very lazy just because of their size and everything else but he's just he's so good and so fast and like you said he's so young um it i think when when you just think about like just how good he's been and um what he's doing so far this year like you kind of think about like how this helps swanson and acuna because the spotlight is on albies right now so even when acuna comes up it's not like he's going to be expected to just make this huge jump and be awesome right away because the Braves, I mean, as long as Freeman comes back and it looks like he's day to day and everything. So it turns out that, uh, just from his reaction, it may not be career ending, um, when he got hit on the wrist again, but, um, that's yeah, going to help. Playing I think today in the starting lineup tonight. Oh, so. he is. Yes. We're recording this right <laughs> yeah, before they yeah. play the mess tonight. Um, yeah, yeah so he told good. us, uh, he said, yeah, we asked him about it, uh, you know, in the clubhouse today and he's like, uh, I'm playing tonight. I'm starting tonight. He's like, he said, I told Alex Anthopoulos, if it's not broken, I'm starting. It's not broken. He's starting tonight. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, so that's good news. But is that a fair, like, point to make that it's just, Acuna, there's significantly less pressure, I think, now that the Braves have started off so well. And Ozzy Albis, Albis is just looking like a potential MVP guy in, a, in the not-too-distant future. Like, it's just, it's been great. Um, him doing so well and then the pressure kind of being off Swanson and these other guys that um, it's exciting and as long as you don't look at who's at third base everything's pretty great in Braves land <laughs> yeah I, I think those are all valid points and I, I do think it's a situation where you don't feel as though Acuna is coming up and having to be a savior and, and having that you know that that sort of level of expect. I mean there's going to be levels of expectation when he comes up I mean I, I think we saw um, Zach Dillard showed me uh, Monday that they had who, uh, cut for the uh, MLB site uh, mm-hmm. had who's going to be the next member of the 300-300 club and they had Acuna as one of the options uh, mm-hmm. on there so you know we're already uh, laying out these ridiculous uh, expectations for the guy but um, yeah it definitely helps that he, he would come into a situation where Ozzy Albies is is doing what he's doing that Danzy Swanson's turned things around um, you know, that uh, Freddie Freeman healthy playing, you know, at a potential MVP level. Um, those things are all uh, to his benefit. And I think, you know, you're probably going to see him hitting sixth or seventh in the lineup to begin with. I think that's that's been the trajectory they normally have had with guys. Uh, ultimately, I think you get him fourth. And I think that's the best 
okay. the best, uh, you know, place for him to be, you know, ultimately being that, that, uh, that protection behind Freddie Freeman. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I would, I wouldn't mind seeing Freeman hit two and then kind of going off that, but I don't think that's ever going to happen, even though, you know, most teams are finding having their best hitter at number two, may yeah. be the best uh, strategic well, approach still bats we're third for the nationals. So there are teams yeah. that still do it a little bit. I mean, I think as long as you're in that top three, <laughs> that's all that matters. Yep. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, uh, I think it's gonna be interesting to see where they hit and everything, but at the very least everything, just a lot of great early returns and you can't overreact, but at the same time, it's, it's definitely a positive to see them, um, just getting off to a hot start, especially with how last season went. But, um, I don't know. I think it's pretty interesting. Are you a Flaherty believer or do we think that this is going to come like this little magical run is going to come to a screeching halt sooner rather than later? Yeah. I mean, I think he's obviously riding a hot streak. I think the same thing with Preston Tucker, that they're, it's given the Braves a cushion, you know, I think it's just, it's allowed them to not feel like Johan Camargo comes back and you have to immediately expect him to go into the starting lineup. You know, I think it's allowed them a buffer with uh, Acuna in left field with Preston Tucker playing the way that he has. I do find it interesting, though, that when you think about the news yesterday that they signed Jose Batista to a minor league deal with the intent that he's going to play third base. So what does that ultimately say about their, you know, level of comfort with one, the way Flaherty's playing now, or two, you know, what the long-term prospects are for Johan Camargo until Austin Riley is ultimately ready to come up to Atlanta. So while Batista is going to go to the, going off to an affiliate after some time in extended spring, the ultimate goal here is that this guy finds his way to Atlanta and is playing third base. Yeah. It, <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, I have a question for you. Do you think okay. what, what scares you more? Uh, I'm not even scares you. What like repulses you more? The idea of Jose Batista at third base long term or Freddie Freeman? Freddie Freeman at third base. I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, to me, Freddie just doesn't just doesn't uh, profile there. You know, I, okay. I watched him when he was getting acclimated last year. You know, going through his pregame stuff with Ron Washington and just learning the position before um, he went off to uh, to uh, Gwinnett and played a couple games there in Charlotte. And, you know, just the along his elongated throw, just having to take a couple um, steps in order to, you know, to get his throws off. I just don't think he's as, he's nearly as comfortable there. He obviously can play there. You know, last year he was a, pos- a positive defensive run save there, um, you know, can do it. But uh, I'm much more uh, happy with Freddie Freeman playing first base. So uh, that would be the one I would have a problem with. Can I read you a headline from Philly.com today? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Phillies flattened by Ryan Flaherty. That is a headline I never thought I would see in 2018. Well, Amazing! I think the it's never it's such a great. See that. Yeah, that's true. It's a. By the way, shout out to Gabe Kapler who already like he's already gotten through the outrageous criticism stuff. Like he had some weird stuff to start the year, but like they're back over 500. And that whole conversation of is he in over his head? Like all those early examinations of did they make a mistake by bringing in a front office guy x player that kind of thing in that role but but whatever that's over but i just love that ryan flaherty uh the 31 year old is uh getting headlines of flattening other teams in baseball right now so that's cool big fan of that um i do like so we now know that freeman's gonna play tonight but i it did make me think like if freddie freeman did get injured again and he like let's hope not and everything else but if he were to miss significant time again for something do you think that would change anything with the way 
double a is approaching this season for the braves would he be more reluctant to make moves down in the summer if they're still in contention even without freeman like how much does freeman still play a role in what uh anthopolis is thinking for the braves down the stretch this year well, I think that's that's an interesting question. You know, certainly, you know, it, it, let's say that he would have landed on the DL for an extended period of time, mm-hmm. you know, this year. I think you ultimately would have saw, uh, we're seeing, you know, Ryan Flaherty probably just move over to play first base. Johan Camargo okay. could have played third. You know, ultimately, uh, Jose Batista, if he makes it up. Or you could have saw could have seen Nick Markakis just simply slide down from right and play first base. He did that five times last year. And then maybe Ron Lacuna just moves into to right field. So I think they would have had some options there. Um, it, it is interesting because, you know, Freeman still has, you know, that he's still going to be with this team for, you know, for a few years to come uh, with that contract. We expect them to be, you know, players in this offseason. Um, it, it's going to be interesting because I think you're going to see the Braves linked to Josh Donaldson just because, you know, he's obviously, uh, you know, a Southern kid from Alabama, has a mm-hmm. ties to Alex Anthopoulos from their time uh, together in Toronto. Um, Mike Moustakis is playing very well. Do they, do they go that route? Uh, it, it's going to be really interesting. I, I think this is, they're going to have to make a maneuver this summer, uh, this winter. I'm sorry. They didn't do it this last year. You know, maybe they could have gotten into that, that race to have gotten Jake Arietta, and maybe we would have been looking at them as a potential wild card team. They're going to have to be a little bit more aggressive this year because uh, obviously the, the nationals window, I think we're all believing that that is, is closing just a little bit. I mean, obviously they are still going to have Victor Robles, still going to have Scherzer, still going to have Strasburg, but you're going to probably lose Bryce Harper in that. I mean, they're Trey nine Turner, and 10 but, right now. They're struggling right now. So yeah, well, um, I, I a lot of it's injuries. Gonna, though. I mean, I, they don't yeah, have Murphy. Yeah, and you and know we'll what, see what happens. Yeah. And as long as you have those pitchers at the top end of that rotation, we saw it when the Braves were there last week. Those guys can be the, the type of players that can put their foot down and they're on a team's throat, saying, mm-hmm. "We're stopping your, we're we're we're, uh, we're going to get things back to where they should be." They're going to be fine. I think that's still going to be a team we're going to see go on a run and still be a contender to make the playoffs. It's interesting how many teams that we all thought were just going to kill everybody this year are struggling to start the season like the yankees are eight and eight the indians are nine and seven um the nationals like we talked about are nine and ten you have the cubs at eight and eight and the dodgers at eight and nine it's uh not been a great start for all the contenders outside of like the astros and um i mean the angels have been awesome that's a good story but the red Sox and that's about it of uh, the teams that we all thought were going to be good, but the Blue Jays and you just touched on them are twelve and five. So the idea of like potentially seeing if Alex Anthopoulos could go after like a even like a Tulo or who's on the DL again already, but or Josh Donaldson and see just sniff around to see if that was a possibility. But um, it looks like they're uh, going to go all in this year, especially if this hot start keeps them in the AL East race or at the very least the wild card race. Um, not looking great there, but then again, the wild card race in uh, the AL, it's going to be tough because it looks like the Angels and Astros are both almost playoff locks. Like we know we're not going to get two teams out of the um, AL Central, I think. I'm pretty confident in saying the AL Central winner will be the only playoff team this year, but um, I don't know, man. I think the Nationals are even vulnerable this year, and I think just seeing their start, it because the Mets, when they're healthy, they're just really good. Like their arms, they have the five aces for the first time in forever and this was a world series team just a few years ago and you know like with Cespedes playing well and just uh they got Conforto back now and if he stays healthy just that offense still isn't great looking but when you have Syndergaard, DeGrom and all these guys in your rotation then you're just going to contend you're going to be a problem and the Phillies are starting to go for it like 
it uh, it would not surprise me if the Nationals did not win the division this year. Look, Todd Frazier has been great for the Mets too. 155 yeah. weight of run created plus. Um, it is interesting you start mentioning all those teams that have gotten off the slow starts and. I, I think when you list those teams, the Indians are the ones to me that I would be the most concerned about. I think they yeah. lost enough where you feel like, okay, and, and the, obviously the Twins went out and made some additions, but I still feel like the Nationals, the Cubs, you know, the Dodgers, those teams are all going to be fine. I, don't, I really don't see those teams falling off the face of the earth. The Yankees, to me, Stanton's going to put it together. He, the, I, a couple of things with him, you know, obviously he's really streaky. And when he's in a bad run right now, I'm sure we're going to see him put together a 15 home run month and everybody's going to forget all about it. But look at what's happened with Andrew McCutcheon. He had a couple nice games, but he's obviously had a tough transition going out to the uh, National League West. Evan Longoria completely switched leagues going from the AL East to the National League West. I mean, those, none of those three guys forgot how to hit. Stanton didn't forget how to hit. I think we're ultimately going to see them uh, bounce back. I think the Red Sox are phenomenal, but I think the Yankees are going to have something to say about what comes out of the uh, American League East. Can we call, start calling guys who get hot in the second half the NCRTA rule? There you go. I think we should. All yeah, right, there we go. I think we just came up with a new thing. It's not how you start. It's not how you start. It's how you ender. Oh my god, that is incredible. Go. Oh, we're there definitely using that. That is perfect. That is great branding. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. Um, yeah. So I I want to touch a little bit more on the dance week thing and. I know we talked about him a little bit, but do you think, like, when do you start buying in that this is real and this is a guy who we, we thought, like, this is who um, Capolello and Hart thought they were trading for um, with the Diamondbacks a few years ago? Is this, when when do we start, like, buying in? Is there, like, a nut, like a sample that you want to get to before you're comfortable saying that this guy is turning the corner and that this difference where he's now hitting balls that he should be which is a great article on talking chop that uh, i encourage you all to check out that kind of outlines why swanson's been better this year than he was last year but um yeah i just i'm i'm wondering when it's okay to get excited without um the strong possibility of him reverting back to who he was last year i mean he's got a 440 baby right now right mm-hmm. and we know that's going to fall back down to earth a For little sure. bit um and obviously you want to see the production that he has now get a little bit closer to the all-star break. But I've had multiple conversations, including one with Dansby today, that just makes me think this guy, the mentality is just different than it was a year ago. He's just so much more, you know, just at ease than he was, uh, I think, at this time a year ago. Um, and I don't know if that's just the comfort of playing with Ozzy Albies or just having figured some things out because, you know, as it's been mentioned multiple times, he made a very simple change to his swing where he just moved his hands inside of his back uh, shoulder and he's so much quicker to the ball now. And I think you can look at it one from saying, okay, the guy made a change and he's seen, he's seen results from it. So he's having success from that. The other thing is that he was willing to kind of go and get back to basics when things weren't going right for him. You know, he didn't really, uh, I think, you know, kind of go within himself and, and, you know, think, okay, I'll figure this thing out. You know, he was willing to go to, you know, to back to college coaches, go back to Kevin Seitzer and just be like, what can I do to, to make some alterations here to this? And I think just that willingness and then the mentality now where he just seems so much more comfortable to me makes it th- seem like it's legit. I, I think this is really who, uh, who he is. I don't necessarily think he's going to hit, you know, 68% above a uh, league average, but I think he can be a guy, you know, who, who can, you know, be around a, you know, a 110, 
way to run create a plus player consistently. I think that's a little bit closer to probably what we can expect from him. And I think we're probably going to see that long-term this season because I think just the mentality to me and just just the way he's carrying himself is just so much different than it was a year ago. That's awesome. And I hope that's the case because Swanson and Albies um, in the middle of the infield for the next 10 years would be a lot of fun if they're both awesome. So I hope that is the case. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Can I say something about Mike Moustakis? Okay. I have to come clean. This podcast for the last year, I was pounding the desk saying there has never been a more brave third baseman post-Chipper Jones than Mike Moustakis. And I was convinced he was signing with the Braves for a cheap deal after going months without getting signed. And he reverted back to Kansas City. I don't know why he went back to Kansas City. They're terrible. They're going to be going through a long-term rebuild and everything. And part of it had to do with like the flirtation with Dayton Moore before uh, Anthopolis was inevitably hired to replace Capolella. But at the same time, I am uh, the fact that you're throwing that out there as like a potential trade ship this summer is kind of infuriating for me because <laughs> I... It was so mad that he went back to the Royals because he just seemed like a classic Braves third baseman rental. And it's not, it didn't happen, but of course it would happen like at the deadline for something and maybe even for Carmargo or whoever. But um, I don't know. I just love that Moustakas appeared in this podcast without me bringing it up that he just seemed like a future Braves third baseman. I, I am convinced that he didn't sign any long term deals because Todd Frazier messed with his, uh, his market value. I really think that that contract that Fraser got was just so below what anybody expected. And I think, you know, he probably got deals that were based along that. I mean, Fraser's older, but Fraser's been so much more consistent over a long period of time than Moustakis has that I would, that that's my, my thought on it is that he just didn't, he wasn't getting the long-term deals because Fraser kind of set the market for him. Last Braves question. Then we're going to talk wrestling for a little bit. Um, All right. This is a big one. Do you think the Braves, if they're still like, let's say they're like three games over 500, approaching the deadline, do they make a trade for a top line starter? Because I think after year three of is Julio Tehran an ace, I think we can finally move on from that. Who was great. Nine Ks, six innings the other day. Um, like him as a day at number two, number three starter in a series. But I just don't, I want to see the Braves go after, I think they have enough lineup um, juice to get them through the rest of this year, but where I don't think they need to make a big splash unless it's for somebody like Donaldson or something. But um, do you think they ultimately decide Anthopolis gets bold and makes a deal for a top of the line pitcher if they're in the playoff chase? I think they do. I really think okay. this, is, this is the time where you're going to have to do it. I think because look, they have the prospect capital to make it happen, and we all know that. And I think you're, there's obviously a different set of teams that you're going to be dealing with if you do it at that point or if you do it try to do it around the winter meetings when seemingly everybody uh is in on you know anybody that you could potentially think of as a is a possibility i think i I think this is when you're going to have to do it because i do not think they want to go out and pay and you know i've had conversations with anthopolis about this and capoella and and hart before they don't want to get in uh on the tame top dollar for uh, an arm uh, mm-hmm. They don't want to do that. They want a controllable guy. So I think they have enough prospects that they can flip them and be able to get somebody of note. And I, I really think that's going to have to be the approach for them just because, you know, the, what those stated uh, appro- ways that they don't want to 
again, pay a uh, you know, big time money for a, a free agent pitcher. And they have so many arms that eventually you're going to have to decide who are you going to buy in on and who are you going to believe is expendable. Yeah, having a new GM, I think, is an ultimate is an, uh, really a, an interesting dynamic with that, too, because we don't necessarily know how Alex Anthopoulos views, you know, guys who might be second tier arms in this, you know, in this system like a, yeah. you know, a Bryce Wilson or a Kyle Muller. We don't know how he approaches those. So I, I think we're going to ultimately find that out because I, I do think uh, this is the time they're going to have to make something like this happen. So you're telling me Chris Archer will be in a Braves uniform come August? I think he's the best bet. Uh, I know I know there's been an infatuation with Chris Archer for some time. I think he's the one that makes the most sense. Um, if you're looking and look, the Rays need pitching. You know, they've got they they went and got Brendan McKay a year ago. Um, he's a really interesting piece. You know, could be the, uh, a guy who maybe gets a chance to be a Shohei Atani type. But I, I really think they they need pitching in in the worst way possible, and the Braves have it in, in definitely in surplus. Actually, I lied. I have one more Braves thing that I need. To, I need to say. Okay. I need to put. I need to pose it to another Braves guy because there's not many people that will get this. But how many Braves catchers need to die before the Marlins <laughs> send JD Real Muto to Atlanta? I don't understand how this guy is not a Brave yet. I, my first thought was Suzuki going down and JT and um, Tyler Flowers going down. I was just that is the guy. He's somehow the only one that didn't get moved this summer in the Derek Jeter fire sale, and he would make so much sense in Atlanta. Why is he not a Brave yet? Well, the team they're playing the next four games are going to want him too in the Mets. And yeah. I don't know if they're ultimately going to trade him in division. Um, you know, think about the Mets and the, and the guys they have. You know, they, well, they have, have they have, you know, well, they have, well, they have guys who've gotten injured and they're, they're kind of pulling at the, you know, the, the, the bottom of the barrel now, given Lobaton, you know, major uh, innings and whatnot. They need, they need help due to injury. So, I wouldn't be surprised if they're, you know, try to, to pull them away too, but I just can't ultimately see them doing it in the division. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, did you watch WrestleMania? I did. I watched uh, all what was it, seven, seven hours, hours of it. I didn't watch it live. I refuse to watch any wrestling show live. I will not do it. I don't understand how people watch Raw live every week. I watch all the shows, but I don't watch them live, so I can skip through and no commercials and everything else. I got to move through it. I, I don't know how people do it. So how did you get well, through seven I, I, hours I, of WrestleMania? I fast forward through Raw and SmackDown each week, but okay. I actually did watch all of... I watched the pay-per-views in their entirety when they happened. So you know, there's no commercial. I might get some WWE Network commercials or some... Whatever true, nonsensical yeah. you know sponsor they have for or like the Hall of Fame awkward but, walkouts where they do that for twenty minutes and then Undertaker's um, entrance was thirty five minutes so there's a lot of stuff that you can just yeah. zoom through that you don't need to be there for. What did you uh, think of WrestleMania as a whole? I mean, I liked it until the the main event. You know, okay. obviously that went stale. I think they really missed their opportunity to, to do something special with, with Roman, even if he didn't win, I think they, they missed the chance to do, I mean, obviously I was surprised that Brock, you know, was one was staying and two mm. walked away with the universal title. I think I, I th- thought for sure that was gonna, that was going to go the opposite direction, but I thought Shinsuke and AJ Styles was great. You know, obviously, uh, you know, Oscar and Charlotte was great. Um, Ronda Rousey was very impressive and there was a lot to like. I thought that even that IC match to start things off, that was with, really good. Uh, you know, Rollins, Miz, and Balor was really, really strong too. But I will say, my favorite thing that happened that weekend, though, was actually the ladder match in the NXT oh show. My I God, thought that it was, was so much fun. That was yeah, love yeah, Ricochet, Ricochet was unbelievable. Love that, Adam yeah. Cole, he's a star, man. Yep. Like Adam Cole is so over, 
And I was a little worried when uh, Bobby Fish went down to injury for six months, but the turn with Roderick Strong was fantastic. And yeah, I love yep, it all together. It's, it's pretty great. Like I'm excited for NXT for the next couple of months. Um, they didn't get rated as much during the shakeup this year. Um, they only lost Noe Jose, who's not good. And then um, Authors of Pain now with Sanity. Uh, yeah, Sanity, Authors of Pain. Yeah. Sanity is weird. It seems like that's a group that you would not announce via just a graphic on SmackDown that they're coming. Like, yeah, the whole point I agree. is like a surprise thing. And their entrance is the best part about Sanity. Is it's just fun. They have an awesome theme song. And I, I don't know, like SmackDown looks great on paper, like getting Almas, who has just been fantastic. That was another guy who that Aleister Black match was unbelievable. The Andrade is so good. And Selena Vega is such a good manager with him. And those two just work so well together. And it's amazing how much better he is having her around and just how it all works. Um, he deserves a lot more credit for just being awesome. I feel like I was one of those people who was kind of just like the entrance is weird and I didn't understand his character, but his in-ring work speaks for itself. And I think he's really matured as a wrestler and just his character makes a lot more sense. And it's just, it works. Um, and also Tommaso Ciampa, incredible. Like everybody loves Gargano, but for him to come out the way he did and just the no <laughs> music and just the chance for that before the match even started, him just taking it all in expert heel work. Shout out to Tommaso Ciampa. He might be my wrestler of the year right now, just for that. Yeah, he was really good. He was really good. Yeah, but I will say I thought the Almas Gargano uh, fight in Philly was actually uh, I, I liked that one a little bit better. But I saw Almas when they, when NXT was here in Atlanta um, mm-hmm. two years ago. It would have still been when Joe and uh, Finn Balor and, and Shinsuke were were on the yeah. roster. He's made some serious strides since. I mean, he, back then he was wearing like a like a fedora yeah, into the like ring like a and pimp you know, or something. I didn't really I didn't understand yeah. his character. <laughs> Yeah, he's great. I mean, they've they've changed him, and it's it's so much better now. I mean, he's 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 legit. I'm I'm. It's gonna be really interesting to see how they handle him. I mean, maybe you know if they do something with him and Shinsuke after he's done with uh, with AJ, um, you know, this could be this could be some fun stuff with him for sure. SmackDown's top of their top of the card is so stacked. They have no mid card anymore, but the top is just with Joe going there, Jeff Hardy, and I mean, I guess since he has the U.S. title, he's kind of in the mid card, but he's a superstar and he's probably selling a bunch of merch as it is right now. Yep. So um, they're in great hands. And I'm glad that like Daniel Bryan stayed on SmackDown and that we're getting Miz Bryan because that is the future of the year if they do it right. And I think they know that this is just a big thing. And the talking smack stuff was so good a couple years ago. And I'm glad we're getting a payoff to that because if they do it at SummerSlam, and they do it right. Just what makes great wrestling is the feuds and the story that's being told. So if there's no reaction, people don't care, you're not invested, then it doesn't work no matter how good of a match it is. If there's people don't care, people are going to care about Miz and Brian, those segments and those promos that they're going to do to build it up to that match is just going to be a delight. So I'm very excited. I love the Miz and I love Brian. So excited for that. And I'm excited with where wrestling's going. I'm also excited with the Braves because the Braves are doing pretty well to start the year. And it it looks like things might be getting better. Um, And Chris Archer, like you said, guaranteed, Future Atlanta Brave, Chris Archer. I do have one quick question for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. I do have one quick question for you. So you brought you brought up the Talking Smack stuff with Miz mm-hmm. and Daniel Bryan. Now, knowing what we know now, do you think this whole thing was slow played and they knew no. Daniel Bryan was coming back? No. So you think that thing with with Miz, the the seemingly spontaneous ripping into Daniel Bryan on Talking Smack, was meant for nothing more than just our momentary enjoyment and it was not in any way shape or form building towards what we're about to see i think it was like a 
putting it out there and then if the opportunity ever arose, then they could take advantage. But I think there was no thought in Miz's mind that he was ever going to be wrestling Daniel Bryan. All right, I'll buy that. It was just, I just so like good his stuff was bad, yeah, and it's yeah. just like those guys. It, I just it's easy to forget now that he's been cleared of how ridiculous it was just to think that he would get cleared. So I I don't think, and even Daniel Bryan said that like he was pretty down about it, and it it took Bree. He gave her a shout out that. That was the reason he kept fighting, going to different doctors and specialists and everything else. And everybody was clearing it except for the WWE doctors and all that kind of stuff. But I, I don't think there is that much of a forward thinking company that um, they are looking three years down the line. They're like road dogs in the back. Like, all right, before we get on talking smack, Daniel, you and Miz are going to have this amazing heat filled promo with uh, just absolute rage with Maurice looking on and uh, just uh, completely stunned of what's going on and Miz you're going to just really blow up and it's going to be really personal it's going to be really great and then in a couple years we're going to have a match at SummerSlam and after you've been clear no don't buy it at all not a thing alright well I'm, I'm I mean, they did that gonna, with the Daniel Bryan story I'm going to get hot about this because they claim like this whole build up of like there was that whole like they were always going to pull the trigger on Daniel Bryan over John Cena and everything else but they also turned him heel and they put him with the Y it's like they to pretend that they were always behind Daniel Bryan and that this was the best underdog story that they were happy to oblige fans with is very unfortunate and completely untrue and very very frustrating but that is neither here nor there. Don't think so. Don't really care about what happened three years ago. I just care that it's happening now, and I'm glad it's happening. That's what I'm going to focus on. All right. Well, I'll, I'll be on board with you then. Okay, cool. Um, all right, Corey. This was a lot of fun. I'm glad we were able to do this tonight. Absolutely, man. All right. Well, we can find you on Twitter at Corey J. McCartney, and we can read you on, let's see, Fox Sports South. Are, are, are you still writing there or no? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Still, we we still write. Um, our uh, what what was it? Our shift to video hasn't completely wiped away the written word, so you'll yeah. still you'll still find written stuff there. Well, we can listen to you on Chopcast Live, which I listen to every week. Very good stuff. Very informative. You even get to hear Alex Anthopoulos from time to time. Very good interview. You're the first That's person right. that I listened to when uh, he got hired. Very good. Um, and we can also maybe see you talking to Cody Rhodes this summer somewhere in SunTrust Park. You never know what's going to happen. Which there you go. In Fox Sports. Corey, thank you so much, and uh, let's talk again soon. All right, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Corey. All right. William R. Washington of RBR Wrestling is here. And will that's oh yeah you I, I have a whole intro written ready for you and you jumped oh. in it's I'm really proud Sorry. of this one you are the host <laughs> of RBR and you even have this pause for every guest before they jump on to say whatever it is if it's Maxwell to give a joke if it's Paul to say hey I'm here or Eric Brady to do whatever Eric Brady does I was I, I oh man I don't even know if I want to go through with it I'm so proud of it and. Uh, no no please there we go all right fine i'm restarting this whole thing will okay william r washington that is who you just heard interrupt me very rudely on my own podcast it's the host in him he is the guy who runs rbr and it's um you can't teach an old dog new tricks apparently and uh will gail kim dunked on stephanie mcmahon this week and shane mcmahon talks to Paige like braun Strowman talks to nicholas how are you 
great. <laughs> uh, I, I am excellent. I'm having a it's it's an excellent Thursday right now, and um, I figure being of uh, RBR wrestling fame, the one thing RBR is most famous for is like opening with super corny jokes. So go ahead and introduce me, and I'm going to respond to you like I'm Maxwell Baumbach. Okay. Um, I uh, th- I already introduced you though. Just just go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead with what? I already introduced you. Just say just say William R. Washington. Okay. Also here, William R. Washington. <clears throat> hey folks, where do typists go for a drink? I don't want to know. The space bar. <laughs> All right. Anyway, no, I'm actually here to talk wrestling with with Chase Top. <laughs> Did Maxwell send you that before we got started? <laughs> No, no, I, I just, I thought, what would Maxwell say at this juncture of a ser- of a show? And I thought, I, I have to dig where he would dig for jokes. Okay. Unfortunately, I can't reveal where that is. Mm-hmm. Okay, there you go. Because then the secret's exposed. Oh. <laughs> and we don't want that. Um, because they're the best. And he wasn't on this week, so we didn't get to hear a Maxwell joke. But um, no, maybe we- he owes me like five. I know. Um, so do you know what I'm talking about with the Gail Kim st- stuff this week? Yeah, yeah. The the um, I, I was actually talking with uh with Paul Griffin about that. My other co-host from RBR Wrestling, but uh, I about the fact that and you know she didn't go into to one specific thing, but you're talking about the fact that Stephanie McMahon has been around pretty much the the last 20 years of the business. So you know for her to be such a champion of women's wrestling, Gail Kim is like you know I don't buy it. I feel like. You know, she's just being an opportunist. Um, is that what you're referring yeah, to? Yeah, I mean, she went in though. She went. I mean, it was uh, it was a very uh, thoughtful answer, and it wasn't like I didn't get the sense that she was intentionally digging her. It was just something of like I was in, like she has a um, she has a good reason to dislike what's going on there, and she has a reason. Like she makes it clear that she's not bitter about these women getting the opportunities that they're getting now that she didn't get at the time. She's saying that that should have been like, she's happy for those people. She's happy that this is where they're at right now. But for Stephanie to kind of ostensibly be the champion of the divas revolution or women's revolution. Oh God. Um, the women's revolution, then it's just off putting and it kind of rubs her the wrong way. And I, th- I would, well, I yeah. Would... And, and if you like think more into it and like dig a lot deeper, um, think about the fact that Stephanie McMahon, um, was, the head writer for WWE yeah. for years. She was the head writer from um, what she took over, I believe, at the beginning of 2001, and really was like in the position off and on till about what, like 2010. So, like, um, if you were to look at, if you were to ask somebody, what would be like the worst period for women in professional wrestling? Stephanie McMahon kind of oversaw all of that. And so uh, I, I can kind of get a little sense of like, you know, why is she championing this now when she was, uh, it, it, she had every opportunity, I guess, to put women at the forefront or at least give women better opportunities. And when she had the opportunity to do it, she didn't. Yeah. So why is she suddenly the champion of it now? Is it just opportunistic? Is it just opportunistic to do so? And well, she talks I, about I, it. She says I, WWE is always in the business 
I mean, they always think have a business mindset. And for them, they are thinking, okay, this women's revolution is becoming hot. Ronda Rousey, this Me Too movement. So, of course, I don't think the last part is fair to throw that in there. But um, so, of course, to be honest, I'm going to say this because I've said it on Twitter. Stephanie could have been fighting for us a long time ago. She was there every single time I worked there. And she had zero interest in fighting for the women back then. I don't think Gail Kim's going to get re-signed by WWE at any point. At this point. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I, I would say never say never just because there are so many people who have had bitter statements to make at WWE. I mean, think about, um, you know, if if you never watched TNA 10 years ago, yeah. um, they, they had uh, a little tag team known as the James Gang who performed in WWE as the New Age Outlaws. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they eventually changed their name to the Voodoo Kin Mafia or VKM. Yeah. And, you know, went outside WWE or yeah, they showed up at WWE headquarters and talked all this trash about WWE and bad mouth triple H and called his mustache stupid. Um, that was at the time that he had the, the Lemmy mustache. You're going to tell me one um, of these guys is now the head writer of a And now show. road dogs, the head writer of SmackDown. So I would just say, never say never. Um, lots of guys have talked all the garbage and eventually, um, if there's one thing that I can, say about WWE is that they don't really seem to hold grudges. You could pretty much guarantee mm-hmm. that unless someone dies before they get a chance to make up with the company, they will eventually make up. I think they hold grudges if you never get to the point where you're worth, like it's kind of goes back to your original point of like they're a business company. Like they just, they're always thinking about business and the bottom line. Like if you're, they will hold a grudge forever if you're never going to be like valuable in that sense to them. So I don't even think they hold a grudge forever. Yeah. It's just like eventually they just forget about yeah. you. And I'm sorry, just incredible, but uh, that's that's likely. Hey, he follows your me on Twitter, Twitter, so be careful here, sir. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> sorry, Justin. Please keep and following. And that's Mr. Chase CM Punk's debut match to you, sir. Ah, uh, yes. I hate that I know that. I remember. Why, I know where I was. It's, yeah, ha- Hammerstein Ballroom. I, I remember. Oh, the, I mean, you weren't at Hammerstein no, ball, was not. Ballroom, that but cool. I. I um, I remember that match vividly. That was, um, in my eyes, a mistake. I don't think it was a mistake. It worked out for Punk later on. I think he was. I think him starting in ECW was good. It was kind of like the starting yeah, in NXT no, I just for think them, that where the crowd was. WWE over, yeah. had, if they had made Justin incredible, incredible out to be such a jobber for so long that like CM Punk coming in and having a competitive match with Justin Incredible, I thought was a bad look. And I think so. You're saying he, had they made him a bit more credible before his match he, with Punk, it would have been better? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I, You know what, though, like bringing it all back to the Stephanie Gail Kim stuff, I really want to hear Stephanie respond to this. I would love to hear... Oh, she, she never I know she wouldn't, Not a million. but I would love to hear her on a podcast talk about her time as the head writer and the early days of with her in dirty and just the backstage politics of why it took so long. I, I would be curious yeah, because I mean, there I might will, be a I lot of stuff we don't know hear. about. Like maybe she was and Gail didn't even know about it. Like a lot of it comes down to Vince and I, I wonder there, we don't really know. So that's our, we don't know all the facts and maybe Gail doesn't even know like some of the stuff that the backstage politics in play between even triple H and Stephanie um, against Vince and maybe Vince was like until this catches fire like she talks about like the women's revolution became a hot thing so they invested more and more so it made more business sense to do it not because they thought it was the right thing I mean the, the right fans thing. had to do yeah. it though the thing is no matter what it was the fans who pushed it and she it. says that in there um, 
Yeah, and that because Gail's right. It was you know it was the fact that they had that what that thirty second squash match on TV and the fans oh, kind of got angry that. about yeah. it, and then there was the hashtag "Give Divas a Chance." Like that's what did it was WWE. Like people just got sick of seeing this happen, and so a- after a while, WWE eventually gave in and gave Divas a chance. Yeah, and I'm glad they did because it's awesome. Like, you know, the Divas title was around for eight years and was defended at WrestleMania once. Was it, it didn't involve AJ? It was the AJ defense, okay. the, the one where she, uh, the big women's invitation oh, yeah. at WrestleMania 30. Yeah. Well, now they've That's come full the circle. That's the only time that belt got They had the women's battle royals, so they brought it back. Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, those battle royals. Um, yeah, so that was like the what I wanted to bring up first. But also, like, do you think that's fair for me to like? So Shane and Paige had a backstage segment at like the beginning of this week's SmackDown Live after the AJ promo, and I he was like applauding her for picking the main event back to back weeks of like excellent work, great work by booking Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles versus Aiden English and Rusev. Fantastic work! You're doing a great job, Paige. And yeah, it's... it felt a little patronizing. Right? Okay. Um, yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. That was extremely patronizing, and I don't know. I, I, I'm hoping that uh, just looking at the way things have shaped up, I'm hoping that Shane McMahon kind of disappears into uh, a bit of a Stephanie McMahon role, where like Stephanie is like this ominous shadow over Raw right now, but is only there on special occasion. I'm hoping that's what Shane becomes. Mm. And also making deals behind the, his general manager's back. <laughs> Not that. Uh, can we talk about John Cena going anyway. undrafted in back-to-back shakeups? Oh, yeah. It's been a bad week for him. Like, what do you think actually is more bothersome to him, that he did not get drafted by Raw or SmackDown, or that his relationship with Nikki Bella came to an end? I mean, I think he only didn't get drafted by Raw or SmackDown because WWE doesn't know what the term free agent means. Oh, for sure. I mean, unless uh, other sports are adopting the the free agent term that WWE has, where like LeBron James is the free agent at the end of this year, so he can just play on whatever team he wants, whatever week he wants, which would actually be fairly entertaining. But uh, as far as WWE is concerned, like John Cena, he's a free agent, so he can just compete on whatever show. No, that means he shouldn't be competing on any show because he's unsigned. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Like I said, like that would be what they should crazy if they want to call it. LeBron James could just. um, W Creative, I know you listen to this. This is what you're the word you're looking for to describe John Cena. A two-way contract, which is that's that's all you have to say. He has a (laughs) two-way deal where he can compete on both shows and that his contract states that he can bounce between the two. But he has a contract. Because (laughs) because like they they're so inconsistent with it, because like they call John Cena a free agent, so he can just compete on whatever show. But then um, you know, they'll say Drew McIntyre was a free agent, and that's why we signed him to Raw. So like they're they're just inconsistent. And why with the didn't term. Raw go after um, Alistair Black if uh, SmackDown signed Andrade Cien Almas? Like why wasn't Raw like you know what Kurt Angle's like I messed up here, but I know um, I, Stephanie went over my head and got Sammy and Kevin, but you know what I'm going to bring in the NXT champion. That's what I'm gonna do. like. They have not explained this, and it's professional wrestling, so you're never going to enjoy it if you get into the nitty gritty like this. But that that's true. Um, I do think it's kind of because I enjoyed it greatly this yeah, week. I was actually very pleased with everything. So then let's jump into that. Like, who do you think? Because there's been a lot of talk. There's already articles that I read saying that SmackDown just did a great job acquiring talent and their stack now and this and that and the other. It's like all the 
problems that the show has had over the last year, it's completely um, been scraped from everyone's minds, apparently, because now they have a more stacked roster. Uh, well, and, you know, the weird thing is, I won't call it necessarily stacked as much as everything feels balanced. I think, I think everybody now. Like, I don't think they have a well, mid-card I... anymore. Like, all their mid-card guys went to SmackDown. I mean, I went to Raw. Well, this is how I look at it. Um, for the last year, because uh, when the brand split first started, um, it was a lot different than it is right now, and a lot of people don't realize that because uh, when Raw came, uh, when they first split everything around or split everything up, excuse me, I don't know how to talk right now. Raw had um, its B show and Superstar. SmackDown had its B show and main event, and SmackDown also had uh, Talking Smack, mm-hmm. which was an additional hour to continue to use people who may not have made it onto the main two hours of SmackDown. Like, you know, there would be times where the Usos weren't anywhere on SmackDown, but then they'd show up on Talking Smack and cut a good promo, so you at least knew that the Usos were doing something. And I said all that to say that SmackDown has lost its B-show because when 205 Live came along, main event went to Raw and Superstars just got canceled. And then um, SmackDown also lost Talking Smack. So all of a sudden, now SmackDown only has the ability to use its two hours and nothing else. Mm-hmm. So if you don't get on that two hours of SmackDown, you don't get on, you're not no used on television anymore. at all. Yeah, there's no velocity. There's nothing for SmackDown to use guys outside of the main show. So essentially SmackDown needed to become a show that's just those guys because otherwise it's a waste of everyone's time. Whereas Raw has the other resources. Raw has an extra hour and Raw has a B show. So you could take somebody like Zack Ryder and put him on raw where even if he you know if they use him as like a a jobber one week on raw um the next week he might be doing something uh in order to 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 keep in use whereas on smackdown the cruiserweights on raw it's been quiet but they it's very rare you see them now on raw it's it's basically been post enzo they have not appeared very often they used them one time and that was that tag match that week yeah that tag match before mania um but i guess that's how i feel about it you know i think that raw um, I think people are looking at SmackDown as stacked right now, mainly because as far as the um, the superstar shakeup is concerned, SmackDown did get more high caliber talent, but SmackDown also needed it. Whereas Raw has been kind of really heavy on talent altogether, where it, um, it, it could have stood to lose a few people. And so I think now, if you look at the rosters, they feel balanced to me. Uh, when I look at them side by side. And I think that that's what's going to make the shows feel really good as time goes on. Raw, I mean, SmackDown is, yeah, very lacking in the mid-carders. But at the same time, if the show's only got the two hours and doesn't have any other means of using talent, then it really should just be uh, a core talent kind of show where you get your main eventers, your upper mid-carders, tag teams, and women. And that's it. Yeah. That's a really good point, and I think that's what their plan is, and uh, I think it's going to work. I think it's going to be a much more interesting yeah. show. I mean, it's not good news for Shelton Benjamin, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I mean, unless they have plans to use him as a singles guy. They they did plan that in the beginning. When he first yeah. re-signed with the company, he was supposed to be a singles guy, and then they had the Chad Gable idea, and now that Chad Gable's going to Raw, and they, like I said, that's another thing, is like Raw... It's, it's weird because I think in our heads, especially if you've been like a longtime fan... Um, we're so used to the idea of SmackDown being the show where careers get started and then they move them to Raw mm-hmm. to uh, to become stars. Whereas now, there's really no benefit to being on Raw over SmackDown because 
they're both on the same network. They both do very similar in ratings. There's there's no reason to move anybody to Raw uh, as a star, whereas Raw has more time. Raw has more time to develop guys, whereas SmackDown really just has what it has. So said all that to say that um, Raw really should be looked at as the show where guys get started now, where guys kind of get a chance to, to come up with a new gimmick, come up with something um, and use their time wisely with it until they can be on SmackDown on a more concise show with really just the people you care about. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so give me one winner and one loser from the shakeup. Um, one winner? Mm-hmm. I would say um, oh, one... Alright, I'd say the biggest winner of the shakeup is going to end up being Samoa Joe. Okay. Uh, and I say that because um, he is at that level that I just talked about where he, he came in last year and he came in with a lot of buzz and then got hurt. Um, and then he luckily they, they kept going with him and they put him with Lesnar and all of that. But it, it still hasn't felt like Joe has gotten to be in like a big, solid main event program. And when he came to SmackDown, he came in, he crushed Sankara and then got on the mic and just killed it. And the way he talked about the fact that he is going straight for your your favorites here on SmackDown, and he is and like he did it in order too. He made sure to talk about that. You know, you guys love um, Daniel Bryan. Um, well, I'm coming for Daniel Bryan, and then he ended with I'm coming for Samoa Joe. And if they or not Samoa Joe, uh, AJ Styles. Mm-hmm. And if they can keep him on that path, uh, I think he's going to have a really good year on SmackDown. Okay. And so I think it is an absolute upgrade for him. Okay, that's fair. Uh, did, he didn't come biggest, to mind originally. Can I? I'll give uh, my winner, and then uh, oh, and then we can go to both losers. So I have a okay. big winner and a slight, like a this is going to take some time before it becomes apparent that this was really good for this person. Um, I think Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn moving back to Raw is a really good thing for them. I think they're gonna. I think <sighs> Triple H and Vince clearly really like Kevin Owens, and I still think he and Sami Zayn are the most entertaining uh, promo guys on this roster right now. And I think they're going to get more time to actually say things and be hilarious. And I just enjoyed Kevin Owens' Raw run more than I did his SmackDown run. And Well, his SmackDown run was... Uh, I said this on RBR last night, but I really just came to this revelation thinking about it. His entire SmackDown run was one feud with Shane McMahon. Yeah. And it literally started the night he got to SmackDown. He was on Talking Smack, and Shane McMahon was hosting, and they had a confrontation there. And from there, for one year... Even he had the feud with AJ Styles, but like Shane McMahon was the center of it, mm-hmm. and eventually Shane was even the referee, and that became a big thing. It's been he had just one feud with Shane McMahon for the whole year, and it was entertaining at spots, but one whole year—that's all he did on SmackDown. Yeah, and we didn't even really get a good like payoff one-on-one match against Daniel Bryan or anything. Like it, it was uh, a very. It was just a year where Kevin Owens, I think, is like a top five earner for this company. I'm pretty sure his uh, he's really high up there, and obviously they see a lot of value in him. And I just think he's someone that I could see Vince utilizing more on Raw and him getting a uh, getting back on track. So I'm glad he's going to be away from like feuding with authority figures for a while. So I think that's good for him. And Sami Zayn and him are both just really talented. So I'm glad. Um, the sneaky good one is Baron Corbin. Like they did that whole like everybody else got those who didn't show up on the show. They just got a graphic. Like even almost just got a graphic. Oh, I guess uh, Selena Vega had that weird grainy video that they do for some reason for people sometimes. But 
I think Baron Corbin's going to get a monster push on Raw, and I think we're going to get a Roman Reigns. Oh, you're talking about the cell phone promos, by the way? those are so bad. A controversial opinion on that, by the way. I think that's the future of promos. I think they need to present them better, but just thinking realistically, um, if you had something to say to somebody, right, if you had a statement you wanted to make and you wanted the public to see it, you would pull out your cell phone, turn on your selfie cam, and... um, make this statement into your phone and tweet it to the world, right? That's how you would do that. That's what athletes do. That's like a real-life thing. And if WWE finds a better way to present it, I think it is more realistic to say that, um, oh, here's... Like, you have to present it as what that is. Is like, oh, The Miz posted this statement on his social media today. Let's see what he had to say. And then that's his promo. Because that's what guys do in real life. Like, as as I think that would be a little more realistic than backstage promos, in a sense. Yeah. And I think that is the future of the backstage promo. I think they just need to present it better, but otherwise it is more realistic to have somebody talking trash into their phone. I think as a viewer, I I would prefer them adding text to those cell phone videos. So (laughs) I think that's really what it's missing more than anything, not just the correct, like just the look of them themselves. I think it's just, Mm -hmm. we need more um, graphics flashing on the screen. Uh, That's what I think they need. Um, but yeah, Baron Corbin, I think is going to like, it would not surprise me at all if the universal title feud for SummerSlam is Baron Corbin versus Roman Reigns. Uh, that sounds like the worst. <laughs> it, I didn't say it was going to be good, but that would be my uh, bet. I think Roman Reigns uh, is beating Lesnar at the, in Saudi Arabia. That's definitely happening. And then you're, I have my doubts about that, I don't, to be honest. The reports of like them trying to get like multiple losses out of Lesnar before he's gone and that he's doing now like a single data the time booking situation or like he's getting paid per uh, appearance um, and his contract's even more loose and that he's basically all but certainly going to UFC. I, I, they're not going to do it again. I don't think they're going to have Roman lose back-to-back times to Lesnar. I think he's beating him at Saudi Arabia. I think that's a, a colossal mistake, but whatever. Chain now. He wears a gold watch. Yes, he does. What is the chain? <laughs> what is this, 2002? I do you think the Usos have talked to him a little bit <laughs> and been like, "Have you tried this?" Because we went full heel, and then the crowd ended up liking us, and then we turned into some pretty fun baby faces on SmackDown. So maybe he's getting some help there. But the problem is mm. the Usos are awesome, and they're great on the mic, and the crowd likes them. So I, I don't know, but. I mean, you would have to like full on turn Roman to to know if that works or not. And it might, honestly, because it really worked for the Usos. They are so good. But then again, they have charisma that Roman just doesn't have. It's not in his yeah, nature. Yeah, but of course, I I would love to see Roman as a heel, um, because they've never actually done it. Uh, even in the Shield, he was his words were always protected. Like you know, Dean would make the the heel statements, and like Seth would do the planning, and then Roman would just say, "Believe in the Shield." They always made sure to never put Roman in a position to be disliked uh, in the Shield. So, like, he's never actually had a real heel run. Yeah, that's fair. And I don't think we're ever going to get it. So, I think that ship has sailed. And I think yeah. he's going to be headlining SummerSlam against Baron Corbin. So, get ready. That is I, that is happening. I, I think that uh, if it's not SummerSlam, they're getting a big two-month feud. I just, I would bet on it being SummerSlam or sooner rather than later. Um, so, who, are, who was your biggest loser? All right, I got uh, three answers okay. to this, uh, <laughs> and I'm sorry about that. Uh, so 
Biggest loser as far as um, who was drafted, mm. I'd say, is Jinder Mahal. Ooh, um, interesting. But on, the, but on the other hand, the fans are winners. Look, <laughs> he, he came over and immediately lost his United States title and has no real road to getting it back. Uh, so because like it's on the other brand and like yeah he's got the match at um, uh, at the Oil Rumble but it he's not getting it back so uh, at that point all the WrestleMania momentum is gone yeah anything he had from that and then they've already kicked off his feud with No Way Jose not great like already we've established here Jinder Mahal is not getting the run he had on SmackDown this is not a guy who. We're going to see on the level of Roman Reigns, a guy that we're not going to see him on the level of Seth Rollins or or Finn Balor or any of those guys. I think Jinder Mahal is at best um, Elias, and at least people like Elias. Yeah, I don't see that out of Jinder Mahal. I don't see that happening. But I think that's that's a ceiling on and I Raw. I see a feud between the two of them at some point this year. Um, and then so. Uh, as far as like recipient losers, I'd say Ronda Rousey in that like she stuck with oh, wow. Natalia. Um, and I, <laughs> okay, look, um, I I've made it known on RVR I'm not the biggest Natalia fan, but I think uh, one of my biggest beefs with Natalia is the fact that she has been booked in pretty much the same feud for the last like three or four yeah, years and where like now. she yeah she like she fake befriends somebody and then turns on them and it, it happened with like they started with becky lynch um where what was it becky lynch and uh natalia versus charlotte and dana brooke i want to say from battleground 2016 i believe you. but anyway um yeah so they had that match and then natalia turned and th- there we were. That that was the big turn for Natalia. Actually, I think that was Money in the Bank. Now that I think about it. Anyway, uh, and then a few months later, all of a sudden, Natalia is acting babyfaceish again and befriending Nikki Bella as Nikki Bella was jumped backstage by somebody mysterious, and it turned out to be Natalia. <laughs> and uh, and then like she she turned her back on Naomi last year. Um, after kind of, you know, acting like she was befriending her. And then, so, all of a sudden, she's friends with Ronda Rousey, who... I don't like that they assume we... the fans knew that, and that they that there was some sort of connection yeah. <laughs> there. I don't... I hate when they do that, because it's obviously not So, they assume the clear. fans... They assume the fans knew that. And then, on top of that, if you didn't know that, but you have watched the program the last three years, then you know, hey... You shouldn't trust Natalia. This is what she does. Yeah. And Bailey should have like come out or something and been like, "Hey, you might want to do some research on Natalia or something." Like, I don't even know who was the right person, <laughs> but someone should have like pulled Ronda aside and been like, "Hey, be careful." Yeah, yeah. And I hope somebody does because, like, at the moment, Ronda just looks like somebody who doesn't pay attention because Natalia is notoriously and and it's really just the fault of like not having new ideas for Natalia. Mm-hmm. This is what they do with her. So I, I would say at the moment, I can't see this feud being anything good for Ronda Rousey. Sands, maybe a halfway decent match. Maybe. I, I, don't, I maybe. don't look forward to I, those two working together at all. And Ronda was amazing at WrestleMania, and I think she's going to be really good. And I was wrong about a lot of the stuff. I still think she did 
she was really bizarre on her interview circuit prior to Mania. And absolutely, but at the same time, she nailed it, and she was great, and she's fun. Um, I still think her character is weird, and her attack on Stephanie did not make a lot of sense, and I didn't think that was a very baby face thing to do. But then again, I think they're kind of falling in that same Roman Reigns trap with her a little bit in some ways. But but people like yeah. her, and and uh, yeah, I, I and she had the. Um, she had a good match before being put out there in front of the fans. And I think that's, that was kind of all it took because like Roman hadn't had what he had one singles match on pay-per-view before the fans started booing Mm -hmm. him. Um, Before he won the rumble, he had only had one singles match on pay-per-view. So that was, uh, I, I've, I've always said, and I stand by this statement and I will probably make this statement again in the very near future, but Roman Reigns had he had the years he's had as far as in-ring quality um, prior to being shoved down everyone's throat, I don't think they would have booed him as hard. Yeah. I had a thought and when so the that, that was going I, I, on, I, like one of the only things that they can really do at this point to salvage Roman Reigns, and I think this would actually be pretty amazing for a summer, is send him down to NXT. Oh. Can you imagine the reaction? Just looking at what Champa got when he came out against Gargano, which is one of my favorite crowd reactions of all time, and him just soaking it in. And shout out to him, who is now going by Tommy Entertainment instead of Tom- Tommaso Champa, just like Johnny Wrestling. And now he's going it- mm-hmm. unbelievable. He'll work. I'm completely yeah. here for him. Um, that is the brand that appreciates great wrestling. Like Roman Reigns is still a really good wrestler, and if you put him. In a program, because he's still just, he's getting booed out of the building still, and it's just not going to work. But at the same time, if you threw him in NXT, or you threw him in a title match this summer against Aleister Black or something, everybody would be talking about it, and everybody would love to see that those two go at it one-on-one, or him versus Adam Cole, or him versus anybody in NXT. I really think that would be the only... I absolutely think you're onto something. I, I think that is a genius idea. There we go. All right. WWE Creative. You're listening. Send him down. Revamp his character there. And then I, I think that, uh, and I think it would be a good message of him just being like, I've screwed up time after time. Like, I just need to reassess and I'm just going to go and face the best wrestlers in the world and prove that I belong. I like that. I think that that's a really good idea. I don't think it would ever oh, happen. Oh, no. There's but... no chance that's ever happening. <laughs> no, not a chance. But I think it's really good. Um. So who are your other two losers? Um. Those are my answers. Oh, okay. I... <laughs> I gave them. There you go. Um, my other lose. So I think Sanity is a loser here. I-, I think that was just a really weird way of bringing them up after how long they've been. Um, in- I don't like the graphic that they just showed. I mean, we'll see how that goes because um, I- 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 I'm going to reserve judgment on it for now because like, do you remember after the last shakeup, they moved the new day to SmackDown, but they didn't debut for like two yeah. months. Wasn't it because um, Kofi was and- injured? Uh, yeah, Kofi was hurt at the time, but it also just allowed them to to really hype up the return and debut of the New Day, and they immediately went into the feud with the Usos, and so they they came in and had a ton of momentum, and I think that um, if you hype it up correctly and like do uh, like not just that video package we saw, but like a series of video packages and like really hype up and get people excited for the debut of Sanity to where when it happens. Um, they'll come in strong. I think they might be fine. Okay. I'm interested in how they do without Nikki Cross, but other than that... That's true. Well, I guess I, I didn't even think about that. Is she not coming? 
She's not coming, no. Huh. She's sticking around in NXT. Huh. That's it. I I guess the women's division on SmackDown's pretty like with Oscar coming over and like it's pretty full right now. I I guess, yeah. That's I don't know. Um I I I, I didn't I, I realized this um last night on RBR. It just kinda hit me, but uh SmackDown seems to have some kind of issue and I don't know what it is, and maybe um, they're just really strong about the women's evolution, but they don't like having um, women with men, like in any way. Like they, they keep them separate. Like when in last year's Superstar Shakeup, Ron and Rusev, he's bringing Zelina, right? Well, yeah, there. he's gonna he's gonna keep Zelina. But other than that, like you brought, and I think that's just because that's a big part of his character. But like you brought over Rusev last year, and the first thing they did was split up him and Lana. Um, and I, I am curious as to what it is about smackdown to where they they don't they don't interact like there is nothing that ties the women to the men on that show and they should be having carmella interact with the new day because those videos of them together are fantastic they should be interacting Mm -hmm. every week carmella's growing on me she had a really good segment i thought she was really good on the mic this week she is very good on the mic and uh i i look forward to what her title reign holds yeah still uh yeah, I think it's going to be fun no matter what because I think the Iconics are awesome. Uh, Charlotte's still not great on the mic. Still feels really hollow, but uh, she's a fantastic mm-hmm. wrestler. And she had my favorite match of WrestleMania, so I'll give her a pass for right now. Um, last thing before we go. Um, I, I just want to talk about this Taker Cena thing really quickly. <laughs> okay. It really bothered me. I hated the whole thing. I hated the buildup. I hated everything about it. I, I WrestleMania had a lot of great matches. It was really fun. NXT Takeover was incredible. I the latter match is one of my favorite matches this year. Like it was great wrestling weekend. So I don't want to seem like cynical wrestling fan, but I thought that was terrible. I thought Undertaker looked atrocious, and he should because he's old. And like what Cena was overselling for, and just the three minute squash and everything involved there, where like Undertaker, it was slow. The squash didn't surprise me to be honest. I thought. The whole time I was thinking the way this is being built up with Taker, I mean, with like it not being a match at WrestleMania leads me to believe that they don't have a full match in mind. Yeah. And that's why um, they didn't want to get everybody's hopes up. Because if you had put Cena Taker on the cover of WrestleMania as the poster match, because other, in any other year, that's what it would have mm-hmm. been. And. Uh, and you would have had you know weeks of build and weeks of hype and video packages and all that stuff, and then you delivered that three minute match that would have gone down as a disaster. So I think they did the best they could with like, all right, we're gonna do it, but we're not really gonna do it. So gonna we're also gonna it. we're gonna hype it, but we're not really gonna uh, hype it. Yeah, I mean, what I would have done if you really want to go down this road is I would have had them get into a brawl. And had like a back and forth promo of him res- finally responding to Cena's comments, and then them having to be separated, and then build up to a SummerSlam match between the two. And that's like your setup is a brawl between them. But Cena overselling and just looking anemic, and like it was just this nostalgia trip that I thought was really stupid. And him walking the tightrope and everything, it just it was too choreographed for me. That I just yeah, didn't like it, uh, no. and I feel like it's and okay. Also the thing I, not like that. I thought the thing I didn't like, the thing I didn't like most about it was like how spooked Cena yeah. was when like you were asking for this for weeks and you were calling Taker all these names and like yeah, and then you seemed like 
you know, you didn't really care about any of that. Like you even called uh, the Taker magic. You called it stupid. Mm -hmm. Like, and then all of a sudden you see Taker and you're like, oh no, what do I do? Not expecting this. Even though I went in the back and put my gear on for the Undertaker. And he doesn't have that same sort of appeal. Like Roman Reigns beat him. Like Brock Lesnar beat him. Like it's just, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't understand the way they're booking Taker now. I don't understand what they're doing with Cena. I think... I, I know y'all have been hyping or uh, harping on <laughs> Dave Meltzer lately, but I think he's 100% right about the way they book Cena being uh, a head scratcher because I, I just thought he had the biggest story. And my prediction, though, before WrestleMania and before that last Raw was that that was going to go on last, Cena Undertaker, and they were going to make it official because that was the biggest story on television for the last few months was Cena trying to get on WrestleMania. He was appearing on both pay-per-views. He was appearing in title matches. He was doing everything possible to get on WrestleMania. And he had segments closing raw where he was calling out. Well, the I think I thought that's where they were I going. Think it goes, I think it goes hand in hand with something Cena himself had said on the go home show to WrestleMania, which I think this may be part of a bigger build. And that was that. If you remember, and now um, with the oil rumble coming up, I wonder what, I have a feeling he might actually lose that one too. Cena mentioned how he's lost pretty much every match, uh, every pay-per-view match since, um, since he lost to Roman. Mm-hmm. Pretty much that started a streak of Cena hasn't really missed any pay-per-views. I think the only one he missed was, um, I, don't know, I guess he missed tell a couple. The story with the Rock. Um, yeah, but that wasn't like real because. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because like he lost to the rock and then they said like oh cena went year. on a downward yeah. spiral but but then like no he didn't he beat big show that year he beat john laurinitis he won the money in the bank he beat Dolph Ziggler. like no you you're making all that up you didn't have an actual bad year um but uh as far as um he's concerned right now it does feel like he's you know, he lost to Roman Reigns at No Mercy. He came back for Survivor Series and got pinned in that match. Mm-hmm. Um, he then tried to win the Rumble, lost. Uh, he was in the Elimination Chamber, got pinned. He was in the Six-Pack Challenge at Fastlane, lost that, lost to WrestleMania. Like, he has just continually lost every single match he's had on pay-per-view since, really, SummerSlam, since he beat Corbin. And that feels like an eternity ago. I don't remember that so, happening. Are we sure that happened? <laughs> Yep, he beat Barrett Corbin at SummerSlam and has not won a pay-per-view match since. I don't think that happened. I don't believe you. <laughs> so uh, I think maybe that's what they're doing with Cena to where like when it comes to these hyped matches, he just doesn't have it anymore. Yeah. But I think that's dumb because he's still not that old. It's not like he's really that old in the grand scheme of like wrestling. I, I just like AJ Styles is like his age and he's the best wrestler in the company right now. But I guess in the grand scheme of wrestling... um. I, okay, so let's think about the grand scheme of wrestling. Yeah. AJ Styles to a WWE fan is two years old. Um, That's fair. John Cena to a WWE fan is 15 years old. So, like, if you are telling that, you know, if you're not using their actual ages and just speaking in terms to WWE fans, John Cena is one of the oldest they have. And uh, I think that is a story you could tell with John Cena. As a matter of fact, I kind of hate when WWE doesn't tell stories of age. You know who else I get where, tell the story like, with? Who has a parallel story arc? Randy Orton, and then they could build to Randy Orton versus John Cena <laughs> no. at WrestleMania next year. I love your idea, Will. So Will like, Washington I, I just, wants Randy uh, Orton versus John Cena at WrestleMania next year. Yeah, I yeah. Uh, no, I, I guess I, I, I guess I'm just saying that, like, 
with guys like Undertaker and Triple H. Like the company is so protective of those guys, mm-hmm. they would never bring up their age, yeah. even though Hunter should not be able to hang with these guys anymore. He really can't. But, Him and Kurt Angle were look. They looked old. And they looked, but they don't say yeah. that. Remember on commentary, you hear it, and they talk about Hunter like he's a guy who, um, you know, they just say he's the game. He's one of the best. He's always been one of the best. We don't talk about his age. This is who he is, and I hate that. Yeah. I hate that um, Undertaker is seen as a guy who is just this monster who can beat anybody, but he's also fifty-one years old. So you know, uh, I, I guess with John Cena because. He has such longevity in the company. I would use that against him. I would make that a part of, you know, he's a part-timer now. And on top of that, he's up there in age. He's had a really long run. A lot of his run was spent at the top. And he loses all of these big match scenarios. Maybe he doesn't have it anymore. That might be an interesting story. Okay. We'll see. I don't know. Um, but I am hoping we get Randy Orton versus John Cena next year for the parallelism and just the greatness between the two of them but uh that will be the main event next year it looks like it and uh roman reigns will be your universal champion heading into SummerSlam this year where he will face baron corbin in a blockbuster um will this has been great thank you so much for taking the time as always of course always a pleasure to talk with you chase all right well we can find you on twitter at william rbr we can listen to you on rbr wrestling which you can find by going to rbrwrestling.com or wherever else you get your podcast tune in new episode this week and will let's uh talk again soon man of course thanks will and that'll do it for today's episode of the chase thomas podcast i just want to remind you guys if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on apple podcast or itunes i would really appreciate if you could take a second leave the show a five-star rating and a review if uh, you're not an apple podcast listener remember you can find the show on spotify tune in radio soundcloud stitcher google play or wherever else you get your podcasts uh, be sure to check out chase where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing i'm writing there fairly often and also follow me on twitter at chase underscore thomas and like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer uh thank you for your support and we'll be back with another episode very soon thanks guys Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.